I'd like to update everybody on um, emails that I, spam emails, bot emails that I get to the podcast. Welcome website. back to spam emails to phenomena. So April tenth, someone named I should I air out their shit and say uh, they didn't want us to air it out. They shouldn't have emailed us. <laughs> also, like it's not anybody; it's a robot. Um, Alex San Filippo, team at podmatch.com, emailed. I personal email, which I linked to the website for some <laughs> fucking reason. Like I don't, I'm an idiot. Um, it's also my good email too. It's not my spam email. It's like my nice email with my real Dude. name. Foolish. Cyber health. Female behavior. <laughs> Female behavior. Not practicing <laughs> cyber health. Not. This is not cyber hygiene. Hello there. I see you're an active podcaster. So I wanted to give you a membership to Podmatch. It's a service that automatically matches podcast guests and hosts for interviews. Even if you aren't featuring guests on the Phenomena podcast with Augusta Chapman, you can join Podmatch as a guest to be on other people's podcasts, which is a great way to grow your show. Here's a link to join for free. And then a sign-up link. Have a great day. Founder, Podmatch. Host, creating a brand. Parentheses. Listen. Nothing. That was. Sorry. Yeah, go for it. No, go for it. No, 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 go for it. No, 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 go for it. No, I insist. Okay. Nothing sadder than seeing someone try and grow their brand with a grow your brand type brand. Wait, did you hear her? So during the month of August, um, Eva and I's analysts went on vacation and the New Yorker magazine stopped coming because we're fucking coastal elite. So we had to go on a fabulous main vacation. Sorry about that. Had to get out of the city. There's no good bagels in August. Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. So actually I was there for Memorial and she was there for a trip. Um, And we met up at the... International Cryptozoology Museum. That is correct. The only international museum dedicated to cryptozoology. Yeah, let me whip up that website also so that we can uh, read their copy. So anyway, this episode is just going to be a review of the Cryptozoology Museum. The people are clamoring for it. They love our reviews. Cryptozoologymuseum.com. The world's only cryptozoology museum located in Portland, Maine. So first of all, let's begin. Parking, very easy. Couldn't have been easier. Lots of great little coffee shops and things nearby if you want a snack. I was surprised by what a cute little area it was in. Really cute. Because the directions made it look like it was like under the airport overpass. Yeah, like in a warehouse. Yeah, I really thought it was going to be a warehouse. It was not. It's actually quite small. Right. Um, that I would say would be kind of the only con. We should also say what cryptozoology is. Oh yeah, okay. Let's talk about. Why don't? Would you like to give a little introduction to cryptozoology? I would love to. You are a semi-expert, and you have that wonderful pitch. Thank you. Um, I would not say that I'm a semi-expert. I would say that I'm at best a hobbyist. In cryptozoology, everyone's an expert. Right, literally, and I do have huge feet like a Bigfoot. So halfway there. 
Cryptozoology, as I understand it, is the study of an investigation of animals which are not yet proven to exist by science. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking on one end of, or like one point of the triangle, we're thinking Bigfoot. On Mm -hmm. one point of the triangle, we're thinking like an okapi, which is an animal that science, like Western scientists didn't think existed and then like discovered. Mm -hmm. Or, like, think, like, a platypus. They, like, thought it was a hoax, and then it turns out that Mm -hmm. it's real. And then on the other end, we're thinking something like, um, I don't know, Mothman. Something Mm -hmm. that it's not even entirely clear if it would be an animal if it was discovered. And it's there's not, like, deep lore about it. It was just, like, a weird thing that was cited. Whereas, like, Bigfoot has, like, hundreds of years of Native American, like, folktales about it that all sort of resemble each other. It has this, like, deep lore that you can get into and lots of people claim to have seen it and believe in it but there's not like scientific proof right so that's sort of the the triangle of different things that qualify as cryptozoology and we will get into the different things in the museum that we saw and how how neatly they fit into that rather expansive definition yeah yeah what's so interesting about cryptozoology is that the way they look at or the museum is that they they had a real like a historiographical historiographical lens in terms of like including animals that were once thought to be cryptids or thought to not exist but do like the okapi um and the coelacanth which is their uh logo actually and i think that sort of i think that well represents what they have going on there so some of the things they had i will say that one of the plaques inside said that 80% of the evidence collected of cryptids is legitimate because they had a whole section about hoaxes and they said 80% of the evidence that's collected is true, but not that's not a hundred. Um, so they're acknowledging that there's, that there are some hoaxes out there Um but that's, you know, anthropologically relevant. It's an incredible statistic. Any angle you hold it up it's, in, the line shines through, the light shines through it like a prism and makes rainbows. It's an insane statistic. It's just an insane thing to print on a plaque. I gotta know if they're like certified by any uh, museum organizations. There's no way, because that shit was a fire hazard, toe to tip. We were packed in there like sardines. I thought, okay, so. We were, this is in Portland, Maine, and I thought, Mm -hmm. ignorant, ignorant city girl that I am, that because Portland is a smaller city and because, I don't know, we were there on like a Friday even. Was it a weekend day? We were there on like a, no, because it must have been Thursday. We were there on Thursday. Yeah, we were there on like a Thursday. And it was raining. I'm thinking this is going to be a stroll through, like, you know, us and a few other families. We had to wait to get in. We were shuffled through. It was it was like shoulder to shoulder. Now, there were yeah. a lot of, like, it's not a lot of space for a lot of artifacts. So even if it had been just the four of us, we would have been jammed in pretty tight in terms of the physical space. But there were a lot of people there. I was really surprised, which is great. Great for business. Anyone who's ever been to the Abita Mystery House in Abita Springs, Louisiana, it was a lot like that. It was smaller than that, but in terms of the sheer density of items per display, that is the only other place that I can think of that comes even close. Uh, The Abita Mystery House is much weirder. Uh, If you've seen the television show Gravity Falls, uh, the the collection there is based on the Abita Mystery House. You're kidding. 
Uh, I was told that once. I don't know if that's true. 80% of the things that I'm told are true. That's really cool. <laughs> uh, I'm looking on their website and they don't seem to be certified by any recognized regional, national, or international museology organization or like accreditation process. Accredita- yeah, accredit. Accreditation or accreditation? No, accreditation. 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 Yeah, they're not accredited. (laughs) Well, what's... I mean, that makes sense because it's just... What I understand of the museum is that there's this guy who runs it who he's the president of the board and the founder Mm -hmm. and the director of the museum named Lauren Coleman. And my understanding Mm -hmm. is that it's his personal collection. That is correct. Yes. So I think it's really just, it's uh, really Uncle Lauren's storage locker. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, The president is actually a dead person, in case you're wondering. Like, an actual dead person is the president of the International Cryptozoology Society. What do you mean? Go to uh, cryptozoologymuseum.com slash ICS. I'm on their board of directors page. Right, but go to the, the, the society, the International Cryptozoology Society, of uh-huh. which their president is a dead person. Good for them. That's exactly all, like how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how it should be. President's a ghost. Yeah, they're not even a ghost, though. <laughs> Just a, a dead guy. dead person. Um, Recently dead? Yeah, 2020. Mm. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. So basically, the Cryptozoology Museum is two floors of like Cabinet of Curiosity style mm-hmm. artifacts, evidence, hoaxes, plushies, a surprising, I mean, surprising to me, amount of memorabilia and like trinkets and kitsch. Yeah. It feels as much so like much kitsch. It feels as much like a a tour of American road stops as it does like a cryptozoology museum in a way that is kind yes. of gratifying because that is yes. what cryptozoology is. It's yes. it's like, you know, I went and looked for Bigfoot and all I got was this awesome t-shirt. It definitely it's has so that feeling. what cryptozoology is. I mean, and that ties back to a lot of themes that we've talked about in terms of other cultural representations of ghosts and cryptids. I right. mean, both of the television shows that we've analyze <laughs> on this podcast are also about driving around to different places in America and experiencing regional local jousts literally literally no it's literally all about the creation of the American highway system that's at the basis of yes. all American ghosts myths, yes. and legends it's about the yes. railroad and like yes <laughs> having a Ford 100% Hondo P the T and model T is for Put something in post that starts with T. Testosterone is all I can think. I was trying to think of a ghost. Uh, spooky noise. Yes. Damn, we're all bubble tea. Should we go to tea magic after this? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. It's also, the Cryptozoology Museum is organized by Cryptid, which is the name for an individual unit of study in cryptozoology, aka the animal or humanoid or whatever that's being studied. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, the Loch Ness Monster would be a cryptid. Mm-hmm. Um, upstairs is basically all 
Bigfoot and Bigfoot related items. I mean, not really. There was a few other things up there, but there's a huge Bigfoot section compared to everything else, which yes. made me really happy because mm-hmm. I love a good Bigfoot analysis. But there was a shocking number of other things and tons of maps showing all the different cryptids all around yes, America and like cryptids of Massachusetts and cryptids of Maine and cryptids of California. And you could buy the maps at checkout. It was really so regional in a way that was so gratifying for the way we've structured mm-hmm. this podcast. Yeah, it was like like each little, each cryptid had either like a zone or its own little sort of display case that was very like, almost like old world museum-y. Like remember mm-hmm. when we went to the Grant Museum of Zoology of in- course. Yeah, in London, it was, like, really similar, which is interesting, because they're both zoology museums. Um, yeah, it's totally, like, phylum kingdom, whatever, like, yeah, just throw it yeah. up in a big cabinet with some formaldehyde and let everybody gawk at the specimens. It totally feels like yes. that. It doesn't yeah, have there- the, like, modern museum detachment and plaque kind of a thing. No, no, there was not a lot of commentary except to say, I mean, there were labels, but the labels they had had to do with I don't know. How would you explain that the the text that they chose to write on the placards? Like it was all over the place. It was all over the place. Like it wasn't like how you see it in museums in most of America. Yeah, definitely America not a very yeah. description heavy museum tradition. Yeah, like any accredited natural history museum you're going to go to is going to have a general scientific principle underlying that they're trying to impart to you about whatever the exhibition is. I just went to the new hall of gems and minerals in the American museum of natural history in New York. One of my all time favorite places just in the world. Mm -hmm. I love the old one. And honestly, I love the new one. It's beautiful. It's like, okay, don't spoil it. But yeah, but it's the, the, it's still really dark and cold. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you're in a weird sex cave anymore, which is a huge loss to society, but you actually can learn about rocks being there, which is a huge win. So I would say it's, it's a positive change overall. When I worked there, that was the cart that you, that I, uh, I worked on Sundays and the Sunday crew was kind of like a, I mean, I worked other days too, but the Sunday crew was like a a very tight knit crew of people because very few people listed Sundays and their availability, um, which like you're 19, like you're available, (laughs) but okay. Um, like (laughs) you're at church, like, but anyway, uh, I'm still friends with my little Sunday crew. Uh, and we pretty much monopolized the gems and minerals uh cart on Sundays because we were routinely hung over mm-hmm. and it was so cold. Yeah. It so dark. It's so nice in there. Yeah, I love it. And kids didn't really want to come in. Oh my god, except <laughs> for me as a kid because I was well, obsessed yeah. with it. But yeah, totally. But it's... you weren't the kind of kids that people avoid when they're hungover. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we just would play hide and seek in there. The thing about it is it's, yes. it's such a far flung part of the museum too. You really have to get out to that wing. You have to know that you're going there. Yeah. And it literally looked like you were in a cave because it was, if you've never been, yeah. it was floor to ceiling black velvet. Felt. Yeah. Yeah. Felt, I guess, not velvet. But it had but a velveteen finish. It had a, yeah, it had a, it was a faux velvet. Yeah. And so like, but like floor too, like you would. Yes. It was, yes. it was like being in a and soft, like, weird cave. It like was, it was, it was yonic. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was truly yonic. 
Yeah. Oh God, that's such a good place. It was so good, but they've redone it. And I just was able to go to the redone spot and it's less, you wouldn't, I'll go and I can, we can use more we'll review as we'll a bonus yeah, episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like another museum review yeah. from, an, from nerds. So yeah. So the, so the way in which the information is conveyed, the way in which the information is conveyed also is reminiscent of, it's very reminiscent of the Abita mystery house, which I will take you to someday. Oh, please. Um, I hope that it's okay. But anyway, um, <laughs> I was just setting up a prayer for the Abita Mystery House. Yes. I mean, honestly, it is clearly divinely protected, so I really doubt that anything like that is happening to it. Like, there are so many magical objects in there. But anyway, it's also very cluttered, and it also offers very little explanation for why it has chosen the items that it is displaying, Uh, just like ICM does, where it'll be like a case, and they'll have like 75 different plastic toys, and then it'll be like, the label will be like Spider-Man toy found in Bigfoot cave. And it's like, <laughs> what are the other 74 plastic toys? Right. Literally. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. And earlier Eva alluded to there being uh, a lot of truth value statements attached to these items. I don't know how yes. else to describe it. I'm going to read a little copy from the website that was going to shed a little uh, light on this. So please do. I think part of what is fascinating to me about the ICM is that the ICM being the International Cryptozoology Museum, part of what's Mm -hmm. fascinating about the ICM is that because it's open to the public and because they want as much publicity as possible and because Lauren Coleman is clearly a smooth operator and knows what he's doing in terms of getting publicity, they have to walk or they choose to walk this line of like cryptozoology is the study of animals that don't exist. And a lot of them are animals people don't think are real, but it's not just that. It's not just things that aren't real. It's not just witchcraft. It's also mountain gorillas and giant pandas. And it's a gateway to science for kids. And it's a gateway to anthropology. And like, it's actually a perfectly acceptable stepping stone to like more like mainstream legitimate types of science. So and he is correct because Bigfoot was a big thing when people used to come to the Museum of Natural History. Lots of kids asked about Bigfoot. So there was always like, I personally deeply enjoyed speaking to those children, yeah. other people less so, but <laughs> there was always kids who were like, do you have Bigfoot? Do you have Bigfoot? And then you'd be like, well, that's so interesting that you ask about Bigfoot. Like, and then you could talk to them about like, the methods of how things are collected for museums and why there isn't Bigfoot in a museum. And like, I didn't know at that time that there was Bigfoot in a museum or I would have told the kids that, but um, there's just a repro, by the way, there's not like a Bigfoot specimen in the ICM. That would be insane. But I'm talking about the, the, if a kid wanted to go see Bigfoot in a museum, that's where they would go. Right. And there's lots, but there's lots of Bigfoot stuff in the museum. Okay. So this is an interesting, I'm going to read a little passage from the website. The International Cryptozoology Museum has as its primary mission to educate, inform, and share cryptozoological evidence, artifacts, replicas, and popular cultural items with the general public, media, students, scholars, and cryptozoologists from around the world. Paragraph down. Realizing that cryptozoology is a quote-unquote gateway science for many young people's future interest in biology, zoology, wildlife studies, paleoanthropology, paleontology, anthropology, ecology, marine sciences, and conservation. 
The International Cryptozoology Museum is filling a needed educational, scientific, and natural history niche in learning. So that's how they position themselves as a museum. Not just like you're coming here to decide if these things are real or not, but you're coming mm-hmm. here so kids especially and young people can make these like personal investigative claims to truth and to animals and to science and to kind of understand and explore the -hmm. limits of imagination, what is real, what is scientific, what the scientific method looks like, at what level we accept proof. And I think that's a really smart way to position them, even if it's a little opportunistic. That's how they got their 501c3 for sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For sure. Like that's how they market themselves as a legitimate business. But it comes across in an interesting way in the museum because it means that they can't just throw up a plaque saying this is real right but likewise they don't want to throw up a plaque saying this is fake because that is clearly against the core belief system of everyone i mean yeah you know yeah so they they have a couple hoaxes that are in there like towards the end of the museum where the plaque says that 80 percent of evidence of cryptids is (laughs) true um up up until the hoax thing like when you're upstairs and it's like the bigfoot um tracks and stuff it'll just say when they were collected right you know it'll be like this was collected by this researcher on this day in this place and a lot of it is stuff that i didn't know as somebody who spends a lot of time on the internet so it's definitely 100 percent worth going uh but anyway that's not the point the point is like uh so it'll have like you know all the footprints of like What's the guy with the two kind of thumbs? Chupacabra? No. no. Uh, <laughs> this guy! <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the two thumbs! That could be any of us! It could be any of us. Not me, I lost my thumb in a terrible Chupacabra accident. <laughs> in 2009. Um... No, anyway, whatever. So it'll just say, like, it was collected by this and that researcher in this and that area of Nepal in this and that time. And But it'll call it Bigfoot Footprint. It won't say, like, possible footprint. It says Bigfoot Footprint collected by XYZ. But um, it's more an assertion that the person who collected it, the thing they were doing was collecting a Bigfoot footprint. Does that make sense? It's not like, oh, I... I have this thing and what this thing is, is a Bigfoot footprint. It's like this person went out and they collected a Bigfoot footprint. They weren't making plaster casts of mud for no reason. Um, And they also weren't making a plaster cast of something that they weren't sure what it was. Right. They were like, oh, that's a Bigfoot footprint. I'm making a plaster cast of it. There's a legitimization of the creatures through uh, a legitimization of the science and the technique behind cryptozoology so by legitimizing cryptozoology as like a practice and a method they're subtly legitimizing these specimens but they can't come right out and say that bigfoot is real because they don't have any real proof and because that's like so controversial so instead they're like in his studies got you know phd like dr springfield was in the woods of washington and he collected this like five foot long you know toenail or whatever (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And I think that speaks to what we talk about a lot with like magic and Mm -hmm. ghosts is that it's not about what is or isn't true. It's about the like the experience and the intention and like the, you know, the experience of I'm collecting a Bigfoot footprint is what makes that a Bigfoot footprint, not whether or not that's a footprint of a Sasquatch. Right, the fact that you're part of the Bigfoot hunting tradition. Yeah. 
yeah. It was also interesting because, as I alluded to earlier, and I think this is to what you're saying right now, a, a surprising, or I mean, maybe, well, to me, a surprising amount of the material, quote unquote, was surrounding cultural lore. Mm-hmm. Was like mm-hmm. kitsch and t-shirts and yes. posters and like whole cases devoted to like bodice rippers and paperbacks, shot glasses. Yeah, shot glasses. Yes, exactly. There was a whole case devoted to um, like beers that were yeah, themed around cryptozoological cryptids. cryptids, like just empty beer bottles that people have sent from around the world love that they were empty yeah you know lauren was cracking open a coleman with the voice yeah really <laughs> gotta be i mean why else volunteer there <laughs> yeah you gotta be having they, some little they are hiring IPA. yeah they are hiring by the way right so i don't know that that was really what i noticed the most was just the degree to which it seems like cryptozoology as a scientific practice is a cultural practice and obviously everybody's you know you can say that about all science there's a culture to all science and we have to have a general acceptance of science to accept but like in this particular case due to lack of scientific verification and like these things don't hold up under the scientific method it becomes this sort of like more cultural practice yeah yeah and like a very interpersonal social practice yeah it's very, I don't know, it's all very, I don't know if any of you guys are on cryptid Twitter, but I am on Sasquatch Twitter like a MF, like a MRF or what you, what's the, I'm on Sasquatch Twitter, okay? I'm deep in Sasquatch Twitter and I have been for years and it's highly social. It's a lot more to do with the people. I mean, who could have seen this coming? The real big feet are the pe- friends we made along the way, really? but it, it is a, like, it's truly like that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, that's valid to me. <laughs> I think that's sick. Oh, a hundred percent. But I was amused by the degree to which the museum seemed to really dig into that yes. and let that be just like what it was. Also, yes. they had pink and camo, like dad baseball caps. The pink baseball hat was so sick. I wanted so I bad. wanted it so bad. But I had already bought one dad hat on the trip, so I felt like I couldn't buy Yeah, and you were right. Another dad hat. You were right. I should have just bought but it. But there'll be time. Honest. There'll be time. Yeah, that's true. Next semester. So if you need me to swing by and pick you one up, I will. True. Well, we got to go to the haunted house. You bet. You bet. I'm going to have my car, so... Is chewing on the mic. Maybe like we can do a on tour of historic <laughs> Mike on the cob. Hi, Mike Cobb. Um, yeah, we should do a tour of like some historical New England. Right? I would love that. You know, I would love that. We can go to the one in Hadley that has a grave from 1654. Wow, that's an old grave. Um, it might even be older than that. It's in my thesis somewhere. I have a picture of it. Anyway. It's got a lot of misspellings on it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, the way that it's engraved is like that. 
like they started like tabbed in and then they had to get really small and go down the side. You're joking. Like, oh, I'm dead oh my serious. God. Like all of the old pilgrim graves are like that. There's no such thing as graphic design. Yeah. They're married to their cousins and they have diphtheria. Yeah, really. Like <laughs> like elementary uh, school yeah. writing happy birthday. Literally. Right. Uh literally. Plus you have to carve it into a stone and you're just like gushing blood onto the thing. No. You're like not a stone mason, dude. Right. You're just, you're just like a guy, a guy who was in debt. Yeah. Yeah, you're just Jebediah Ezekiel and you're literally. just like can't hang. You've got one all. you've got one bucket hat and you're wait, no, bucket hat, buckle hat, and you're sticking to it. Uh those are called Capitan. 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 Or Sugarloaf hat. But obviously it's a Capitan. Uh, yes. You just have one Capitan that you wear on Sundays. Right. And 46 children, all of whom died immediately upon getting off the Mayflower. <laughs> and you got to bury them. Pilgrims. Pilgrims. That's the, that's the Swedish word. Pilgrim. That's me teaching Swedish on Duolingo. Pilgrim. 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 Speaking of Swedish words, one thing I did notice is that they did honor the fact that Kraken is already... What's the... Uh, Kraken. Kraken is already uh, definite... So mm-hmm. the Kraken right. is redundant, and they actually got that right. Love that. I always check. I'm just interested to see how much research they've actually done. I'm just curious to know if you actually looked into this. Did you actually look into this? Because it would be the Krog. <laughs> or Krogin. <laughs> I just have a lot of curiosity about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I was in Swedish class... Um, because, okay, here we go, Swedish lesson. Um, the definite articles, everyone on this call knows this, but the definite articles in Swedish are et and en. Uh, it's kind of like how in Spanish there's like la and l and they're gendered, except in Swedish they're not gendered. They're just like, for some reason, both exist. Um, and so when you make something definite, you put the et or the en sound at the end. And my Swedish teacher used to say, uh, used to call things that were made definite with an et at the end, et words, and things that were made definite with an n at the end. No. N words. Stop! <laughs> that is a true story. That's the most that is sweetest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. That is a true story. The N word. Yeah. yeah, literally. She'd be like, N word or N word. And I'd be like, you just absolutely God, have got to stop. You just have got to stop. Yeah. That's a that's a Nordic degree of ignorance right there. That is describing. a Nordic degree of ignorance. Yes. Yes. Also in the curriculum was a little like Swedish culture thing. And one of the quiz questions was, would a Swedish person say hi when they got on the bus to the other people who are already on the bus? And I got the answer wrong because I didn't read the chapter and I said, yes. Oh, no, they would not. No, they do not. <laughs> if the answer is, would a Swedish person exhibit friendliness? The answer is always no. <laughs> no. I know. I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, every Swedish person has always been nice to me. Like, uh, duh. Uh, duh. <laughs> because they were American. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so some fucking Wisconsin ass girl. Yeah, exactly. Some Minnesota ass Sada. Yeah. Anna. Anna. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's coming out September 3rd. 
September 17th, we are going to release an episode. Okay, Witchcraft 1. The Salem Witchcraft Trials. Can't wait. Ooh, and we're going to watch Blair Witch for a bonus episode on October 1st. I forgot about that. That's exciting. Yeah, I don't really have a closer for this. Thanks, guys. Um, Thanks for listening. You should go to the Cryptozoology Museum if you're in Maine and you're my friend and you want to hang out with me. Or not. For the listeners, for those listening at home, we're smiling. Teehee. <laughs> I wish I could wait. Hold on. Can I take a screenshot of There you go. <laughs> Thank you guys for okay. listening. We're going to have more serious researched episodes soon. We just wanted to get mm-hmm. a little teaser, a little chat, a little welcome back. Mm-hmm, 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 Hope mm-hmm. you guys had a really spooky August and um, get ready for season two. It's going to be a thrill a minute, baby. I regret closing it with that.